HT, New York City. Welcome to Hot 97's Street Soldiers, the hottest talk on radio. Hosted by Lisa Evers. I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. We are now at a new time every Sunday at 6 a.m. on Hot 97, streaming live around the United States on Hot97.com. And if you aren't able to get up that early at 6 a.m. to catch the show, or you want to check up on other Street Soldiers episodes, they are up right now on iTunes. If you search Lisa Evers Street Soldiers, you'll see them in the podcast section. You can listen to the free podcast. We have many, many shows posted there and uh, also you can go on SoundCloud Lisa Ever Street Soldiers and all the shows are posted there as we rebuild the brand new LisaEvers.com for the 2016 so we hope to have that up and running and better than ever uh, very soon but the guys are working on it and it takes a while to get it the way we actually want it now what we're focusing on in this episode of Street Soldiers is something that pretty much everybody has been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks black history Black History Month, the relevance of black history. Should black history just be for blacks? That's another big issue that's come up because why is it separate? Why doesn't every culture know about every other culture or ethnic group or race? Why don't we know the true history? And the big question that we had here, my whole team, Team Lisa here at Street Soldiers on Hot 97, was how do we know that what we're learning or being taught or reading is actually the truth when we've seen historically through time that there have been omissions, there have been misreports, there have been actually outright false things said about various people. So that's what we're talking about in this episode of Street Soldiers. First, I want to ask you the question. You can hit me up on Twitter, at Lisa Evers, Instagram, at Lisa Evers, Facebook too. Please follow me there because we're getting some good discussions going about these topics on Facebook, Lisa Evers Official. Black History Month, should it be now integrated into everyday history that we are taught 365 days a year throughout our schools, throughout our culture, or should it be something separate? What do you think about that? Let me know at Lisa Evers on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. we got a great panel to talk about this and uh, a bunch of other related issues. And you know we're going to get into the Beyonce flap too. So so this is going to be an awesome show. Joining us is Brian Favors. He's a former New York City high school teacher and founder of Breaking the Cycle Consulting Services. They teach cultural competence, and also he can talk about curricula and all these kinds of things and what we're really learning in the schools. Brian, thanks for being with us again. Pleasure to be here, Lisa. We really appreciate it. Also with us is Eki Asamoto. Did I say it right? Asamota. Asamota. I got to get the right accent. Asamota. She is the founder of yourqueens.com. She also was a participant, came to our Push for Peace at yes. Brooklyn Borough Hall in August. So great to see you Thank again. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Thank you for being with us. And you work with fashion and dance for boys and girls, men and women, ages three to the 70s. Yes, all the way up. All the way mm-hmm. to the top. Yes, it's uh, all about doing the healing work. Yes, yes. And, you, and using that. And we're going to talk about the impact of culture because that's a huge piece of it right there. Also with us is Deshaun Farad. He is a columnist for yourblackworld.com. If that sounds familiar, you need to follow it. That's Dr. Boyce Watkins. Shout out to Dr. Boyce Watkins, who's been on Street Soldiers here many times, radio and TV. And uh, Deshaun wrote a column called The Missing Pages of World History. Broadening, so, broadening Black History. Broadening black, black, black history. Yes. All right, great. So we're gonna we're gonna talk with you about that as well, Brian. I want to start with you on this. The fir- first issue on the table right now before all of us, this Black History Month debate. Do we need a separate month? And you know the jokes about February being the shortest month. That's right. 
do we need a separate month for black history? So we need black history every day because black people are faced with white supremacy every day and we need a foundation. Black history should be a part of who we are. The world needs to understand black history because black history is American history. When Carter G. Woodson, um, the founder of Black History Week, when he created it, it was to plant a seed so that, that we would have a week so that our culture would be at the forefront. But it was in hopes that it would ultimately be a month and then ultimately um, year around. Um, and it's I ironic when you talk about Carter G. Woodson, he wrote a book that is like a Bible, in my mind, for black education, The Miseducation of the Negro. A lot of people became familiar with it with Lauryn Hill, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. If you remember the image of her album, it had a young woman with a shackle on her brain. The irony about Carter G. Woodson is he was one of the two first African-Americans to get a Ph.D. from Harvard, him and W.E. Du Bois. And he spends the rest of his life preparing the black community and, and warning us about the dangers of allowing our historical oppressor to educate our children. And he said that if our education wasn't culturally relevant, if it didn't have our history in it, if it didn't teach us how to solve our problems, we would be well-trained idiots who worked for our oppressor but didn't change the conditions of our community. And when we look now, we see a black president, we have black PhDs, we have all these different gains, but um, the condition is still terrible. And, and most, of our, most of our leaders don't even know how to work in the best interest of our people. And that comes from not having a cultural foundation. Carter G. Woodson knew black children could not compete with other children who knew who they were. So when we talk about black history, he planted a seed. I believe it's, it's my responsibility, those of us who are concerned about, about our children, about this country, to make sure that black history is infused into the curriculum every day. And that's a lot of the work I do with Breaking the Cycle Consulting Services. It's 365, uh, you know, it, it's year round. Our kids need to know who they are. This country needs to know. So basically desegre desegregating the whole idea of black history right. is what you're doing. But on the other end, I also know that on Black History Month, this is my, I've, I've probably had 15 Black History Month celebrations because <laughs> I know that's when people have their budgets. So I use that to plant some very powerful seeds to my high school, middle school, to college students. So I don't want to say get rid of it, but we want to use this in hopes that we can plant those seeds and inspire people to make black history 365 days out of the year. All right, you're listening to Hot 97 Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Lisa Evers. Deshaun Farad, tell us about your piece for yourblackworld.com. Well, it was titled... Uh, broadening black history and it was published on February 1st and I had wrote it uh, out of frustration and of course uh, anyone who knows me my uh, yes I'm a reporter but I'm also a columnist and an essayist a commentator and a lot of my research my scholarship focuses on what is referred to as uh, black studies or African studies of course when we say African we mean black studies uh, I addressed several concerns in it I had quoted Arthur Schomburg, who was the uh, curator of the of the uh, Schomburg Center originally, he was the teacher of Dr. John Henry Clark and so many other scholars, and he had said that what we refer to as black history is nothing more than the missing pages of world history. Uh, <clears throat> what I had addressed was that every year during this time, whenever we discuss black history, most people of African, the so-called African Americans that you speak with, uh, and I'm speaking, of course, I'm generalizing now. The only person we know about is Dr. King. Uh, we're lucky if we hear Malcolm X or Marcus Garvey. We just started speaking about Malcolm X less than 30 years ago. And, of course, before that, you, you'll hear people say, uh, or after that, well, a black man invented the iron, iron, a black person invented 
the the the, uh, the stoplight. A black person invented the fil- the filament. Am I saying correct? That uh, uh, that Thomas Edison used the light bulb. All that's good. But what I want to know is what did people of African descent accomplish before we came to the United Thank States you. of America, before we came in contact with slavery, before we came in contact with Europeans? So now what we have been doing uh, for over 400 years is we've been looking at ourselves through the eyes of another people. And that's part of the double consciousness that Dr. Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois spoke, who, by the way, wrote his book, The Negro. It was the first time that a comprehensive study had been done on uh, in America on black people in antiquity discussing our roots in uh, in Africa and other parts of the world of course and we've had other precursors such as Will William Leo Hansberry who was the student of W.E.B. Du Bois J.A. Rogers we've had several people to uh, that have asked before there was a black history month we've had several people to give um, to show the true role the people of African descent played in the development of the world. And, and that, that's, that's a big issue. Eki, speak to us on the, the whole cultural contribution and, and as you look at black history from a cultural perspective. I mean, for me, even starting Your Queens, it was just during the time, you can feel the shift in the world. There's so much going on right now. And even in the public school system, which celebrating Black History Month, our children are dealing with a lot of depression, their suicide rates are going on, there's gun violence. So starting an organization like Your Queens, it was a time for us to know that we didn't come from slavery. We came from kings and queens. Even before Christ, you had Queen Amina, you had King Tut, you had uh, Queen of Sheba, you have Queen Nzingo, and these women ruled the world and is the reason why we're here now. Like you were saying, yet we know about Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, but there was also Ida B. Wells. There was also, like I said, Makita, Queen of Sheba. There was also so many great royalty that set the path to why we are here this moment right now and just thank you for giving us this outlet to talk about it so when I'm when I'm in schools teaching children and adults it's about telling them who they are you are great you are wonderful you are powerful you can be anything you want to be in life following your dreams having an education but also as we discussed earlier even following your calling so I go to schools not to only teach about dance, yes, I teach jazz, modern, hip-hop, through your queens and Eki's famous, but it's also an outlet for, for me to tell them how wonderful they are. And we've been taught systematically so much. that We've been taught not to feel powerful and to kind of, I don't see anything, competition is weird to me. Um, because it kind of brings you down and kind of make I'm better. No, we're all equal. How can we walk in that path and stand together and be great together? And in terms of your culture, biggest cultural influences, give us some ideas of those. Um, my cultural influences, um, I, I come from Nigeria and I lived there for almost seven years. And I'm thankful for that because it made me um, humble. Uh, it made me appreciate my uh, my my elders. It made me appreciate my background, my upbringing of where I'm from. So when I come to schools and I teach about it, uh, people are able to connect right away. You know, they're able to connect and see that it, there's more to to a uh, curriculum. There's more to there's more to just going to school every day and eating lunch and going back home. It's like, oh wow, okay, I know that we are all we are all connected in one way or which another. is a very African, which many of the African cultures really seem to embrace, and we don't really get that in America. Let me yes, l- yeah. And everybody, please feel free free to mm-hmm. jump in, um, Brian. We see people coming from other countries to come to the United States to study African American history. 
but how do we how do we put it in a context like you said it should be studied every day because if we're studying if we're we're a multicultural multi-ethnic multiracial country that's becoming increasingly diverse and this whole cultural competence thing is right. such a big mm -hmm. deal how do we do it how do we place it so that everybody learns it not I mean, just it, blacks it, should, or should it just be for no blacks? it should be everybody because like he said this is the truth and and white people need healing because you know we just did the i just worked on the nat turner movie um, i did educational consulting and one of the things that even in showing it in sundance it did really well but one of the conversations we had is white people need to learn what they did for money how they dehumanized people, especially people that take pride in wanting to have this great country. They need to have a mayor. White supremacy is a sickness. And so we all need to know what happened. People need to know Christopher Columbus didn't discover a land that was fully occupied. That's the epitome of cultural disrespect. So, But we also have to understand that from Du Bois to Carter G. Woodson, at every phase, it has been a battle to get black history, to get cultural studies. And I'm an extension of that fight. I mean, black studies, as we speak, is under attack. When you look at black studies departments in the 60s, they were started when student athletes started having protests for track meets that, that were 100,000, you know, weren't no, nowhere near the money that intercollegiate athletics brings for today. So it's always been a struggle to get our culture at the forefront because we still live in a system that doesn't want that. But there's one topic, and you, and you, and you brought up the slave trade. Right. That's one topic that makes, it seems to me, makes everybody uncomfortable. It makes many blacks uncomfortable, makes whites uncomfortable. It it, may, if you bring that up, it, and it, it hey, bring, by the way. It, bring, it makes blacks uncomfortable because of the way that it's taught. But if it's taught by a culturally competent educator, we were just talking about this before, I want my students to know. You know, we learn about the Middle Passage. We're descendants of those who survived some of the most horrific conditions known to mankind. First of all, it connects all of us through the diaspora. A lot of my Latinos and brother, brothers and sisters that don't know that there were more Africans dropped off there. So it's a connector, and we can even trace how elements of African culture and all the cultures that the Middle Passage, that, that, that people were dropped off through the Middle Passage. But I want my kids to know that we've dealt with all of these conditions, we can do anything. Yeah. You're, 10 days to estimate from nine to 40 million of our ancestors didn't make it if they were to drown up um, you know, the ocean. How empowering is that to know that in spite of all the things that have happened to us, we're descendants of those who survived that. They say you could smell the slave ship a mile before it got to you. Right? Oh my God. Who would Harriet Tubman so be if she had the internet? Who would Frederick Douglass have been had he been able to have a library card and didn't have to risk his life to read? Life. Marcus Garvey, one of my heroes, he had a quote. He said, a people without knowledge of history are like trees with no roots. It is no coincidence that the most disempowered people in the country and in the world just so happen to be the group of people that don't know their names, that were three-fifths human, that have been completely disconnected from their legacy. We don't even realize our contribution. You know, I was talking to a group of kids yesterday that didn't even know, and the teachers didn't even know, that some of the Greeks got their information from Africans. Mark X. Garvey said, Once you, when you learn what Africans have done, you know what you can do. Africans civilized Spain, brought them the periodic table. Nobody's learning about this. This brother talked about Black History Month. Oftentimes, my son's school, it's all about the people, Jackie Robinson, who mm -hmm. fought to gain acceptance with white people. But I want to learn about Imhotep. I want to learn about people who introduced agendas to the world so that my kids know my highest aspiration doesn't have to be to get a job. Well, I'm glad that... Go ahead. If I may add, I'm glad that he said that because what I've often asked, and I learned this from a professor of mine when I was an undergraduate in 1996, I've, asked, I've oftentimes asked people, name me five people of African descent, five black people outside of the United States who have contributed to world civilization over the past 5,000 years. 
And most cannot do that. However, when you go to these Ivy League universities and you ask the same question, name me five white people who have contributed to world civilization over the past 5,000 years, you're not just going to hear George Washington. You're going to hear Socrates, Plato, Caesar, et cetera, et cetera, names of that light. But it's sad how most individuals, I'm talking about us, most black folks in particular, have such a narrow view of ourselves. And what Dr. John Henry Clark had explained to us, what he showed us was he wanted people of African descent to see ourselves in relationship to the development of the world. All right, let me let me bring this in though too, because uh, because America, we're considered by other parts of the world as a very young country, and we're not a country that's known for history. I, I talk with friends who've grown up in other countries internationally, and it's like they know so much history. They know more about our history yes. that's right. than yeah. than I do. I'm I'm ashamed to say, but it, but that's the truth because they feel much more connected to history. And in terms of the the African American history, actually, I want to ask you about this because one of the things that I've been learning that through through extended family members, and, and, and also through friends, too. This concept in Africa of family is something that's very, very powerful. The role of women is very powerful within the family. The mother has tremendous respect. There's much a very structured, there's structured yes. roles in mm-hmm. the family, and it's also when there's a new baby, the family comes, with, yeah. and, and extended second cousins, third cousins, and there's a sense of, of embracing each other and really supporting it, each it, other. It takes a village to raise a child. Of course, you have God first. You have the father. You have right. the mother, and you have the children. You're teaching about who you are. You're teaching. You're coming together. Uh, even when you get married, there is a cultural celebration. Uh, my sister recently got married, and she had an African wedding where the family comes in, the husband has to pay dowry to <laughs> celebrate her, and then there's the traditional wedding. So it's just bringing that, and I, I'm thankful to have, my father has given me the opportunity to live in Nigeria, to get that culture, to now bring it, come here, and follow my dreams and walk in that path to teach it, to show. I have a student who's in her 60s, and I teach her at um, Concord Baptist Church, and Self-esteem is a major thing in so many ages. And what I find is in the short time teaching her, and she's worked with other dance choreographers, in the short time teaching her, she says, Eki, thank you for making me believe in myself in her 60s. And it's That's incredible to have gone that far in life. That far in life. What happened? Right. What did happen? What happened? Self-esteem, she kind of, what happened, wouldn't say, and I don't blame it on anyone, on her parents or whoever it is. It's something systematically that happened that was told. They say, they say that words don't hurt. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You carry those things with you. But having that faith in God and having the right people, me and almost 35, to, for her to come to me and say, Eki, I love you. Thank you. I know I'm doing something that I know that I'm thankful for my roots and for where I've come from to be able to instill that, whether in a two-year-old, three-year-old, or a woman in her Or a grown 60s. woman. Yeah. Or a grown woman. Yeah. Because most of us don't embrace our African. We call ourselves African-American, some of us. But if you don't know the African side and you only identify with America in a country that doesn't even see you as American half the time, that's an identity crisis. The voice, double consciousness, the identity crisis. Um, so if you'd have told me when I was young, if you'd have called me African, I'd have been ready to fight you because the image of Africa was so inferior to me, and it was laid out like that in, in the schools, right? Anytime I thought of Africa, I thought of Tarzan. I didn't think of pyramids. I didn't think wow, of the contribution. Yeah. The culture. And it's interesting because one of the most powerful assignments I give my, my students in my rites of passage programs and whatnot, they have to compare Kunta Kinte at 15. First, they have to compare Kunta Kinte's father 
with 50 Cent, have a baby buy me, be a millionaire, write the check mm-hmm. for the baby, comes who the F cares. With Omaro, who fasts for seven days to come up with the name because the name is going to determine the destiny, that goes to a naming ceremony where the whole village comes and learns about the purpose of the child. And I mean, he can trace his bloodline, he could trace his 200 years. He can't wait to be a provider protector. When he's 15, he goes to rites of passage. In addition to having a father, he has a whole male group that teaches him no material item is more valuable than a man's life. Leave an escape route for your enemies. All of these principles, and I have my kids compare that to snitches get stitches. You know, once you pull your gun out, you got to use it. Money over everything. And what they learn is, um, once upon a time, for hundreds of thousands of years, we loved our skin, we loved our noses, we loved who we are, we had value, we had fathers. But we've been inwards for about 500 years. And that was something that was put on us so that we could be slaves. Because Kunta, throughout the whole movie, does not want to be an inward. Right. He wants to be African. Right. But if you remember, by the time he gets broken and he says, Toby, they say good inward. Keep in mind, right. I just wanted to say we should keep in mind that slavery wasn't just about us working in the cotton fields. What slavery did it caused us to develop Afro-amnesia, mm. meaning that we forgot what we were before right. we came in contact with That's Europeans. A great, That's a great term. Mm. Actually, I got it from uh, my friend, uh, my uh, writing idol, Michael Eric Dyson. So I don't oh, consider- Dr. Dyson, yeah, yeah we've yeah. had him on the show. Yeah, I got, I got yeah, to credit awesome. him, but yeah, that's actually that's what it's called. That's why history is so important. A lot of people think it's just feel-good stuff, but low self-esteem, you know, when you watch the doll test, I encourage listeners to look up doll tests, and you can see it, Latinos, yes, black. Yes, yes. By the time kids are five and six years old, they already know that they're inferior and that white is more valuable. And one of the things we always do in PD, we say, well, if by five years old you've already internalized this, how will this impact your academic, social, and professional development? And we have friends that have Harvard Law degrees who have good money but are still those broken little girls and and guys who can't even speak up and defend their culture in front of their white colleagues. So this is a black history should be the therapy that helps us to confront the trauma that we've inherited as people of African descent. I have a young lady, a teenager I worked with maybe about a month ago. And I'm teaching class, and you know, they're a little bit out of control. Some want to learn, some don't. And I'm very patient. And she tells me her name is Isis. Mm. Said, wow, do you know what? First I go, do you know what your name means? Yeah, it's a terrorist group. (laughs) Oh, that's not first. That was first for her. No, you are an African queen. You're a goddess. But I bet people say that to her every time she says her name and has to get trees with no roots. She was upset with me. But then I saw her t- a few days ago, and then she came to class. So it took time. But for her to recognize that was her name first, I said, no, you are an African goddess. Wow. And we are still. All right, we got to take a little. Deshaun, hold that thought. But when we come back, I want to see what our panel has to say about this whole Beyonce Super Bowl performance flap. And is there what's going, what some people call the guru from Harlem tells me. Well, he gave me the name, so I'm giving him credit for it. <laughs> the one and only flamethrower Peter Noel himself, blacklash. Is there a blacklash against black Americans exercising their First Amendment rights to express themselves? And people are getting upset about that and getting very offended by that when actually nothing has happened. So we're going to find out what our panel has to say when we come back. You're listening to Hot 97 Street Soldiers. Let me know what you think. Black History Month, should it be all year long? Is it time to rethink it in some kind of way let me know what you think on twitter at lisa evers the gram and facebook at lisa evers we'll be back right after this what up what up this is machine gun kelly and this is street soldiers with lisa evers real issues real poly tricks and real people only on hot 97 salute welcome back to hot 97 street soldiers i'm your host lisa evers 
overachievers, high achievers, a lot of high achievers get up at 5 and 6 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, start your day on Sunday, 6 a.m. with street soldiers. And if you had a late night, Saturday night, guilty, sometimes we all do. Um, You can catch up on the podcast on iTunes and also SoundCloud. Just search Lisa Evers Street Soldiers and LisaEvers.com. We'll be back bigger, badder, and more amazing than ever very soon. And we'll have all the shows posted on there as well like we used to. Joining us in studio for this discussion about black history, Deshaun Farad. He's a columnist with YourBlackWorld.com. That's Dr. Boyce Watkins' website, which he always has amazing articles and columnists like yours um, on there. So you want to, you might want to check that out. Also with us is Eki Asamata. Asamota. Asamota. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get it right before the end Definitely of the show. Asamota. Yes. Eki Asamota. Okay, I got that. She is the uh, founder of YourQueens.com. She works with fashion and dance to empower boys and girls, men and women, from teens to uh, the grands, really, all the way, the whole spectrum. Also joining us is Brian Favors. He's a former New York City high school teacher and founder of Breaking the Cycle Consulting Services. They teach cultural competence to schools, educational organizations, and even, I think, law enforcement now, too, right? Which uh, a little bit, a little bit that. starting there, but that's a, gro- a growing field, and I'm sure they benefit from from all your expertise. Um, Brian, let me start with you on this: the Beyonce flap, which a lot of people saw that Super Bowl performance, and they just thought this is urban, this is edgy, this is what it is. Other people got very offended about it. Right. What did you think? Well, I thought it was very similar to the Olympics. John Carlos and Tommy Smith, when they used that platform to throw up the, the fist in the 1968 Olympics. Um, this is the Super Bowl, the most watched event in the world, <laughs> and I was so proud that Beyonce um, took used that opportunity to contribute to the Black Lives Matter movement. And it, it bothered people, but it liberated some of us. And for my students to see that she, you know, Beyonce is someone who has crossover appeal. Everybody loves Beyonce, and it's kind of interesting that they, she hasn't been very political. You know, she stands up, you know, someone could argue women's rights and whatnot, but this was the first time I really saw her, in my opinion, make history. Because that statement right now, at this time, with the Black Panther documentary coming out and the 50-year anniversary, is what the Black Lives Matter movement needed. And the fact that people are saying that that was racist, and the fact that people are, are, are comparing the Black Panthers to the Ku Klux Klan, is crazy. The Black Panthers were created to protect us from uh, racism, right? And one of the things I was telling my students, how many people did the Black Panthers kill? We didn't go around burning onks on people's yards. We taught people to stand up for ourselves, free breakfast programs, but that just goes to show ever since we've been here in America, us knowing who we are and affirming who we are and acting in our own best interest has always been a threat. Um, to the United States of America. What about Eki, as, as, yeah. an, as a, a, crea- a creative person and an artist who Asamota, the yeah. Beyonce, you know, she's a, she is at the height of her career. I looked at that as here is an artist who, and I, I had the opportunity to interview her once briefly at an awards awards show. Here is an artist who is at the top of her career. She doesn't need to do anything really ever again. 
She didn't she didn't need to take any kind of a stand. And yet I thought she made her statement. Yeah. She made a statement whether you agree with her or not. That's her right as an artist and First Amendment right to express herself. But she did it with such artistry and creativity because a lot of people that saw that performance, they thought it was really cool and they didn't even understand the whole context yes, of it yeah. until this this quote unquote controversy or they saw the X at the end. But what did you think of it as somebody involved in, in music and dance and that form of expression? I give her a round of applause. It was exciting. It was magnificent. It was yeah. powerful. It was needed now, especially during Black History Month. Um, and it was just the formation. It just showed, it, I thought it gave her more fans as well to even stand up and it made also men and women feel more confident in themselves like yes and cool that it was a woman and 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 also too i think something interesting about it being that it was a woman that did it it was a woman that it would have had a whole different shift tone if if jay had done something Mm -hmm. or if it had been a no, saying Michael Jackson is very proud of her. <laughs> you know? Deshaun, mm-hmm. what about some some of the criticism? I mean, there were you know there was the Saturday Night Live skit that went viral where they were oh Beyonce realizes she's black that she didn't you know that she had forgotten she's black and now she remembers she's black. Then there's the other side where there were certain police organizations were not going to provide protection oh, to her. Still, then still we have Minister Farrakhan on, on Savior's yes. Day he's saying gonna, he's gonna she's, she's going to get the FOI. We're going to get the FOI. Well, to, yeah. to help her. Well, our brother had mentioned Carlos Cooks and the Olympians, uh, and I just wanted to say, keep in mind, that black artists have always been inspired by what was taking place, or I should say inspired by the times. We saw this in the 60s and 70s when many of the black groups and performers had took the processes out their hair and started wearing naturals. We saw James Brown singing, I'm black and I'm proud. The Temptations, Ball of Confusion, Marvin Gaye, what's going on? So what Beyonce did, she was following a historical tradition of black people or black entertainers always standing up for what was taking place. Okay, but there's there was especially especially after the Eric Garner case and and what we saw with with, with Michael Brown and Ferguson, there was a lot of criticism of a, a lot of people in the creative fields artists why aren't they saying saying anything? J. Cole did his, Cole his song. Did song. He might have been the only one. I mean, Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar did too. But but there was a, there was no, no anthem. Anth- right. There, there was, was a no, lot of criticism. Like, we gonna be all right. Yes. I felt like that should have been on the radio every ten minutes. Right. Because Agreed. in the Black Lives Matter movement, Agreed. that was the song. But yeah. where was it at? I was right. hearing Fetty Wap. No, but the funny <laughs> thing. No, but the fun, no, but seeing the funny thing is, whenever people whenever people address criticism to Beyonce or to J. Cole or Kendrick Lamar, it's amazing to me. People are always saying, "Oh, but my goodness, listen." to the music that black children are listening to and the reason they're being shot down by police is because the music they're listening to this should be more positive hip-hop as you hear O'Reilly say and Sean Hannity and them but here we have Beyonce doing a song uh, discussing black empowerment without one curse word without, without one, one word, without one n-word all of a nothing sudden nothing had a to be bleeped and right? I just wanted to say with all due respect to many of our white brothers and sisters every time that black folks speak about black empowerment it is not about you we're not trying to sock it to you Right, but that makes Wait, people explain that. Explain that because there were there was some criticism of that, and there were there there's some people yeah. in the there's some people. Respectfully speaking, many of our white brothers and sisters have what I refer to as a collective paranoia, in which they feel that if we ever come to power, we will do to white America what white America has historically done to us. And I, once again, this is even you'll find this mentality not just amongst conservative whites, but also many of our liberal friends as well. 
So that's what I'm speaking about. So you have this paranoia. Oh, my God. Are they speaking about us? Oh, my God. Because I'm I'm living in this house in the suburbs. My family has all this money because of what happened to black people 100 years ago. It's a, it's a deep guilt thing subconsciously. Interestingly enough, we start the, the you know, the Nat Turner movie starts off with the uh, Thomas Jefferson quote. He says, I tremble when I reflect upon the fact that if God is just, his justice cannot sleep forever. And if you do the research, Thomas Jefferson believed that a race war was inevitable. He said, there's no way God can side with us based on what we've done. Ooh. And he thought race war was inevitable. And then the Haitian Revolution happened about 10 years later, where Haiti defeated Napoleon. Yes. And he said, wow, that had to be God. But I think a lot of it has to do with this fear that, you know, we've done this to these people. And if they if we have them control, because he thought they needed to send us back to Liberia. But later, Lincoln convinces people they don't have to. We can do convict But you leases. have Abraham Lincoln, a white president. Right. You have northern soldiers overwhelmingly white soldiers fighting to end slavery. They were fighting to end slavery under their conditions because right after slavery ended, you had uh, convict leasing with the birth of the prison industrial complex. Look up a quote, uh, Tom, uh, Abraham Lincoln racist quotes. He has where he says, look, I'm freeing them, but I'm not, I, I don't think they should be enslaved, but I'm not in favor of making them jurors, intermarrying. He makes it clear that, yeah, we'll free them, but a hundred years later, we're going to still be dealing with this and whites are going to be superior. Look it up. Look up Thomas. I mean, uh, Abraham Lincoln racist quotes. He freed us. And one of the things that we believe, and even after Nat Turner, they freed us before we freed ourselves. Because OK, but Brian, let me let me just let me, because let, we don't have the other yeah, viewpoint on, on the panel. Let me just put the, put this out there that way. Also, too, there's something else that's going on now, too, which is called is is context of the era. Like you look at the, the in terms of the sexual allegations field against very people. The times have very changed in terms of our sensitivity on that issue. Abraham Lincoln talking in the context of the 19th century, right. by those standards, a lot of historians say he was pretty darn bold. By Eurocentric standards. Okay. But, but, but a, a Jewish person you know, you can understand how, you know, a lot of people were brainwashed into following Hitler, but that's still no excuse. My right. Jewish brothers and sisters still say never forget and have a stance against oh. anti-Semitism and don't have an empathy because at the end of the day, they put people in ovens. What happened to my people is horrific. And as I get my cultural esteem back, I have to be able to call out a racist for what he is. And he patted himself on the back because he had Frederick Douglass in his house. But it's very important for us to know that ra a lot of liberals are racist, too. Just because you don't hate black people, if you think you're superior to them, that is racism, too. And it's evident that 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 when you study Abraham Lincoln, that he was not about the equality of people. Shortly after, they made a thing called convict leasing, that if I didn't work for a slave uh, plantation, they could arrest me for anything and contract me, and I'd be right back in slavery. There's a book called Slavery by Another Name that argues that that slavery was even worse. Slavery by Another Name by a guy named Blackman. Slavery, okay, slavery. In, in, in terms of the, in terms of what people should know, let's talk because you know this is a hip hop station. Yeah. We have a diverse audience. We have yeah. blacks, whites. We have Asians. We have many, many children and adults listening of mixed racial and ethnic heritage, which is a whole, you know, which is a very much a growing and increasing part of our whole of our culture and our yeah. our country. What should people who are not quote unquote black no. What what should they know? How should they approach this topic? Well, I think with open mind and heart to know that we are all connected. And once you connect each history or learning about black history, you can find your ancestry. You can find your lineage. And it's okay to have this dialogue, to have this oh, no, conversation. I think it's great. It's yeah. good, and that way we can learn about. Um, even When I share about your queens, a lot of times... 
a lot of different races want to hear about it. They're yeah. so excited, like, yes, yes, we do come from this. And even just tying it with, with Beyonce, what she did, she stood up, and what she did, it makes me think of even Maya Angelou, Still I Rise. Right. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. In her own words of saying this. So at the end of the day, once we have these conversations in a positive way, in a honest and truthful way, way where we can all connect to it and want to learn more. What, what about the... Go ahead, Brian. So I would just say a lot of... And, and I deal with this a lot in, in my professional development. A lot of immigrants will say, well, man, my family, we've been here this long and you guys have been here all this time. And I remember getting here and seeing all the Africans were doing the cabs and all the African-Americans are on the corner. Why are they taking advantage? But it's very important for immigrants to understand that when you come here by choice and you have your name and you have your culture, that's very different than the African-American community in which everybody came to America to take advantage of it. That's why you got Chinatown, Little Italy, all of that in every major city. But when it comes to black people, it's a ghetto because we didn't come by choice and we and our culture was taken from us. We're the one group of people that don't know our name. We're the one group of people who are experiencing another level of trauma than people who come here by choice because I have Caribbean educators that I work with that are blaming the black kids well why 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 but they don't understand what it is to be five six seven eight generations of slavery and the trauma that's associated with that versus growing up in Nigeria and being connected to your roots right and connected so, to family so, members yes because my and men know, and may and strong strong men I can go to Chinatown and see Chinese culture culture the people bring their cultures here. They got the restaurants. Every block, I got a Chinese restaurant. They bring their culture. African American. You see the Arabs in my neighborhood. They have the bodegas. Right. African Americans did not come here, worked harder than anyone, but never saw the connection to their labor. So there's even an inherited resentment we have for work mm. that we don't even understand. Black history can help us to understand that. What about the? Um, is th that, that's deep. And in terms of the money, and, and in terms in terms of the whole issue of violence too, adopting the American the American standard. Kuta wasn't like that his peers he, he didn't interact like that but the n-words that captured him right i always freeze that when the n-word when the when the black guys capture kunta and they got european clothes and we always ask you think they went through a right to passage like kunta and i make my students write a backstory and they realize no they got the n-word mentality why are they happy to catch kunta because they're going to get some chickens they're going to get in the house wow. so it's we <laughs> i mean no it's deep it's, it's deep <laughs> let, let, let me let me let me uh Broaden this out to everybody listening to. I'm sorry, DJ Michael Medium here, I'm messing with the microphone. The what should people know? Like you're talking, if you're talking to whites, if you're talking to Asians, if you're talking to Latinos, if you're talking to mixed children, if you're talking to black children, what should they know about their friends? How should they approach their classmates? How should they approach their neighbors in a way that comes from that's authentic and is also recognizing their difference like what is what is basically like if somebody they'll come to Lisa how should I how should I talk to them what do you say I mean I'm putting in a very you okay. know exactly yeah. what I'm talking yeah. about okay. well first of all and I, and I Lisa had the discussion earlier if you're a person who is non-black don't come to a light-skinned black person and say hmm, you know you have a real nice complexion you're not dark like the rest of them okay yes as I've actually had white people and Middle Easterners people who would be classified as non-black say that to me. You know, when you say stuff like that, that shows oh, that... they talk to you in Spanish? Or, they come well, to you in Spanish? Well, no, no, I don't get too? offended with that, Bezevin. I don't get offended with that. Of course, I get approached like that all the time. People think I'm Latino, you know, Latino, quite naturally. I don't get offended with that. But I've never had, actually, I've never had a Latin say that to me. I've only had, say, an Arab, 
Middle uh, Middle Eastern or a white person saying, you you know you uh you know you don't look like you know you're not dark like the rest of or you know your hair is better than the rest of uh black people that type of stuff. What I would like to say is keep in mind that the whole curse of ham mentality is real, and that's that's a five hundred year old mentality that says that black people are genetically cursed, and so this mentality still exists to this. I'm talking about amongst us. That's why you have the concept of good hair, okay, bad hair. Right. So what I would say to a person that is not black is that black people are not inferior. First of all, you got to say to black people first that that's not a, uh, that we're not inferior. Elijah Muhammad straight up said this. He said, look, before I can teach prayer to my people, I have to teach them love of self right. because he recognized the horrific process of slavery and what it produced and what white supremacy produced. But don't you see, and don't you think things are getting better, though? Don't You, you don't? No, you don't the, think, with the, especially with the younger, with, last, the, with the teens, with our kids? Month, I had, I had, I had, I had conversations with my son last year, Dylan. every month, and my son, he saw there is a river, uh, you know, he was watching Black History. He could not distinguish slavery from the 60s. He saw people getting bitten. He said, in slavery, I said, no, that's not slavery. Then he saw the guy get shot in South Carolina in the back. Um, Walter Scott. Having those conversations with my son, I realized, my wife and I, that we were passing down slavery to him because he didn't understand the, the, why he couldn't play images. with toy guns like his best friend Dashiell, who's right. white, right. and how I bugged out when he had a Capri Sun and it was like a gun. But in the conversations that I'm having with him, I realized, in some ways there are some benefits. I get paid to talk about slavery. My grandparents couldn't look white people in the eyes, right? So that's better. But at the same time, um, Malcolm X said, if you put a knife in my back and you pull it out two inches, don't tell me things are getting better until you pull the whole thing out and heal the wound. So, yeah, things are better in some ways, but my community, 50 years ago, 60 years ago in Bed-Stuy, we could leave our doors unlocked. Now our, the trauma, there's more black-on-black -black violence. But what do, you do to, what, what do you do to your kid? Because as, as a parent and also as, a, as an educator, when you, when you have that black son, when mm -hmm. you have that child and you say, listen, listen, sweetie, you're six years old, you're seven years old, you can't pick up that toy gun and run around in the park like the light-skinned kid or the white kid can. I had can. to explain just like Nat Turner and Frederick Douglass people. I had, to, I had to prepare them for the trauma of being black in America. During slavery, we used to have to teach our daughters how to get raped, gang raped, and to position themselves and not fight back so they didn't get sold off. I have to prepare him for the, and there's research I encourage people to look at a Harvard study on positive racial socialization. There's research that proves that when black children get positive racial socialization, which is an understanding of racism and, and how to understand the mess we've inherited, they do better academically and socially. They do much better. Just because they can, because they can process because what's going on as opposed to... Because there's a war against them that they need to be prepared for. And but my son thinks he can do everything that Dasho can do. He's going to have a rude awakening. He's going to have, and, I, and it's hard because I don't want to put this great cloud over him. And it's hard for him. But I don't want him to walk around with a Capri Sun gun thinking it's a gun and get shot like Tamir Rice. So I have to have the balance of making sure. So I have to arm him with the legacy. His name is Nasser. It means great defender. So he's already prepared. Yes. I, he doesn't have the luxury. He's inherited a legacy. He's standing on the shoulders of those who died and struggled so that he could be here. And it's sad, the conversation. So what do you say to him in terms of achievement? Because both you and your wife are very highly educated. Your, your, your children, I'm sure, are going to be highly educated. Do you say to him, listen, you can, you can achieve as much in terms of materialism, education, et cetera, as your little white friend that you're playing with. No. However, you're going to always have to deal He's with this. He's called to do greater things than his friend. His friend has a privilege that allows him to, to, to just go. He's named the great defender. He has a privilege in that his mom and dad, he's been exposed to 
things that, that most kids never, things I didn't learn until my 20s, we're calling him to do things that haven't been done yet. We need him. We pray every night that he will live his purpose and that he will be connected to God Ooh. and the ancestors. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 But that is getting better. I believe that, that, is, that is what's getting better because you're planting. That's the right. positive. We can either, again, it's so much happening. There's good happening. There's fear happening. But it's also having faith. And that's why we are here. That's why we have so many leaders who are in schools to teach this, to teach this because we know what we have been systematically taught. So now it's planting in our children to be great. So I do believe our future is brighter. And things kind of have to get worse before it's shifted right now. You then you have Beyonce doing that. You have Kendrick Lamar. You have Black Life Round. So you're that teaching Turner, that to your Sundance. yes. You're teaching that to your yeah. son. You're teaching that to children because we see it now. It's like oh shoot. Okay, yes. This is the work we have to do every single every day. day. And there's still frontiers out there like the Academy Awards, which are happening uh, mm -hmm. ha happening tonight. But the um, I want to thank all of you. I wish we had more time mm -hmm. for this discussion. This was this was fantastic. We really appreciate it. Deshaun Farad, yeah. you can see his work on yourblackworld.com. Thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. And Eki Asomota, Yes. Thank you so much for being with us. I Thank told you. you I was going to get by the end. Yes, yes, Thank you yes, so much yes. for, for being with us. And uh, Brian Favors, always a pleasure, former New York City high school teacher and Breaking the Cycle Consulting Services. I want to thank all of you for being with us here on Street Soldiers. We have a special guest in the house, Alan Lloyd. He uh, went back to college mm -hmm. and he at Kingsborough yeah. Community College and is on the Honor Society. So, Alan, thank you so much yes, for being indeed. with us, Go sitting ahead, in Alan. here. You know, we want to be shouted out in the term paper, whatever it is, <laughs> whatever whatever it is you're writing. And also, some really exciting news next Saturday. Set your DVR right now so you don't forget. 10:30 p.m. Channel Five. We are bringing back. Thanks to all of my street soldiers. I I really want to thank everybody because so many of you on Twitter were asking me for the email address and on Instagram and on Facebook. You people were writing emails to the viewer dot services at foxtv.com, which they really read. And I just want to say this to everyone listening right now. You may think you're powerless in terms of programming. These program directors, these executives, they do read emails they get because not that many people send them emails about specific shows. And because of all the emails they got at Fox, they're bringing back street soldiers to Fox 5 in March and April for an eight-week run. Of course, you know how we want to do it. We want to just start the run and keep on running. But um, we're going to need your support for that. Our first show is going to be Hip Hop's Unsolved Murders. Why can't these murders get solved? We're talking Biggie. We're talking Pac. We're talking Chinks. We're talking Stack Bundles. If you want to reach me, give me a call on our Hot 97 Street Soldiers Confidential Feedback Line, 212 367 1678. And I'm going to be tweeting that out as well, too. 212 367 1678. But the show will air on Saturday night, next Saturday night, March 5th at 10 30 p.m. on Channel 5. And I hope you'll join us for this. And, and I really, I mean, I, this so rarely happens in television for a local show, a show that deals with the topics like you just heard us talking about here, where we're all family and we just talk very openly about race, about police about communities about our families about our relationships all of these kind of things and uh, obviously a lot of you think we need to do more of it so thank you thank you thank you I and mean, I'm getting the time out with Mike all right so let me thank everybody here <laughs> except for <laughs> Michael Medium keeping us on schedule here so I want to thank my whole team executive producer Tone Capone my associate producer Rose Daniels producer Mia Bell our intern El Haj Malik 
and uh, everybody else that's on Team Lisa, TJ, Jeff Thack for uh, doing the work on the website. Special guest in studio, the one and only creative director, Matt Animus from Fox TV. You know we're hitting big time when we get the we get the Matt Man in here in person, live and in studio. DJ Michael Medium giving us the tunes before the show as we warm up here and uh, keeping us all together here. So check us out Sundays at 6, iTunes and SoundCloud for the podcast for now. Next Saturday, Hip Hop's Unsolved Murders. This really upsets me because if you don't solve a murder, what does that say about a person's life? Give me a call, 212-367-1678. We'll be back next Sunday at 6 a.m. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace.